Hello and welcome to Fintech Insider Insights. I'm Ross Gallagher. In today's episode, we're asking, how do you design financial services for people with disabilities? The fintech boom of the past decade has undoubtedly helped to make financial services more democratic and has improved access for many different groups across the globe. But for people living with disabilities or PWDs, the wait goes on for truly inclusive services. So we've put together a panel of experts to ask what have been the issues to access historically? What do the current solutions look like? And how do we make financial services truly inclusive in the future? We will be discussing all of this and more in today's show. But first, a few brief messages, so please don't go anywhere. Here at 11FS, we believe in explaining FS without the BS. That's why we created our 11FS Explore series, weekly videos that break down a complicated financial services topic into something everyone can get their head around, such as... On-rampy. Buy now, pay later. The cost of living. ESG. Stable points. Telematics insurance. And inclusive design. Search 11FS Explores on YouTube now. Okay, let's get started. As always, I am joined by a panel of amazing guests who can shed some real light on this topic. First off, I'm joined by Ali McManus, who is our very own lead designer here at 11FS. Ali, welcome to the show. Can you give our audience a bit of an introduction, uh, I guess, both to your role and then also your interest in the subject? Yeah, absolutely, Ross. Um, so as a designer here uh, um, in the Ventures team at 11FS, a lot of our job is helping our clients navigate the the world of new financial services, so building brand new products, launching brand new propositions. And a lot of part of that is trying to make those um, often to appeal to the widest range and inclusive range of people as possible in order to make them successful. So inclusive design always at the forefront of our minds when designing new products. Love that, Ali, and um, love that you're here with us as well to, uh, to discuss it. Next, we have a FinTech Insider debut, which is always fun, for Jane Sibley, founder of Sibstar. Jane, welcome and great to have you as well. Can you tell us maybe a little bit about yourself uh, and, and, and also Sibstar? Sure. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm Jane Sibley. I'm the co-founder of, of Sibstar, which is a new debit card and app for people living with dementia. Um, it's inspired from my own lived experience of caring for both of my parents who have dementia and um, a pretty unique experience for me because I do not come from a banking payments or finance background at all. So uh, I learned a lot over the last couple of years. Yeah, I can imagine. And um, again, great to have you on and, and, and sort of uh, to share your insights and your expertise, Jane. Thank you. And it's another FinTech Insider debut for John Sioka, founder and CEO of Purple. John, great to have you with us as well. Welcome to the show. Maybe you could tell us again a little bit just about yourself and about Purple. Thanks, Ross. Super excited to be here. So uh, Purple is a neobank for people with disabilities. We're building uh, financial products that help those with disabilities spend, save and invest for a better life. Um, you know, Purple was inspired by my brother Christian. He has Down syndrome. So, you know, seeing firsthand the hurdles that my parents have had to jump through in order to apply for disability benefits, right? Open up uh, bank accounts and just generally, you know, managing uh, finances for when you have a child with a disability. Yeah. Amazing. And again, um, John, thanks so much for joining us and, and, and sort of sharing, yeah, your, your, your experience and, and, and insights as well. Um, it's a great panel. I'm really looking forward to jumping in. 
Okay, great. Well, look, with that in mind, let's start with putting some context on access to financial services for people with disabilities historically. Ali, I think if you don't mind, I'll come to you first on this one. Um, what do you think the mindset of, of sort of banking services has been with regards to people with disabilities? Has it been seen more as a sort of niche area? What's your feeling? Well, I feel like when it's come to um, especially more modern day and more digital services, that accessibility was almost something that was an afterthought if it was the most, if we're being cynical about it, I feel like most digital services were primarily designed for a long time for without this consideration. And then if we look at banking and financial services, they were probably one of the last groups of industries in order to uptake on that, that technological advance. So, you know, maybe it would have been seen as almost like a niche area if we're going to be kind and assume best intent an afterthought if we're not yeah I, I saw you John I saw you uh nodding your head you're obviously sort of in agreement with some of the points that that Ali's just made exactly especially here in the in the US too right it's like there are 61 million individuals with disabilities and you know so that's about what one in four you know people right so uh, a lot of people throw around the word you know it's a niche group but when you really actually like dig in it's it's a lot of people yeah Absolutely. And I think there's probably at least as many points of friction, challenges, difficulties in terms of accessing financial services as there probably are the number of disabilities, right? I mean, it's a it's a difficult problem to address, but it feels like in terms of where we're at today, and I'd love to get your thoughts on this, Jane, maybe we're not doing enough or traditionally haven't done enough. Yeah, you know, the, the, our idea for CIFSA came from our own lived experience because there wasn't a solution out there that would meet the needs of my mum's very specific needs to help her manage her everyday finances. I think, I think, sort of going back a bit, that I think in the, in the people I've met in the banking industry, that the will is there and the desire is there to help and address some of these more specific needs, but sometimes maybe they're they're too big and too clunky to move quickly and nimbly which is where fintechs can come along and perhaps do it in a in a different way and, and quicker yeah and is there something maybe john bring you sort of back in here based on your own experience do you think there's something interesting in terms of how banks have traditionally thought about segmenting user groups because sort of i think maybe we've lacked a little bit of creativity there maybe a little bit of empathy, we've tended to segment based almost exclusively on affluence, right? As if that's the only thing that sort of defines user groups, that defines individuals. And I just wonder, have we almost missed an opportunity there to sort of expand those range of services and better service the needs of people with disabilities and others? I think so, especially with traditional financial institutions, right? They have a, you know, a lot of overhead and things like that. So for them, it, it totally makes sense for them to bank Right, like the the top one percent, where you know this, where most of their income is going to come from, and um, I think you know with the they sort of put everyone else into a into a different bucket, and you know giving them you know subpar you know financial services and things like that. So definitely a huge opportunity to build right uh, for very specific use cases and and catering to those those needs of of different groups. And staying with you, John, in terms of those. Uh... Those different use cases, I mean, when you guys started looking at designing Purple, what, what did you find that really mattered to your users? What, 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 do, what do they need from a financial services provider maybe that they're not 
readily getting from those established providers that are already in the market? Yeah, so with Purple really, you know, came about the realization that in the U.S., uh, specifically those with disabilities, um, if they receive, you know, benefits from the government like Social Security, Medicaid, right, they're they're not allowed to have more than $2,000 in assets. So, you know, they can't have more than $2,000 sitting, you know, in a bank account or else uh, they become ineligible for, you know, the next month's payment, right? And so if you think about it for a second, you know, a lot of people wouldn't be able to live off of, you know, $2,000, right? So it's like this this asset limit by the government for, you know, this income that's critical to actually living a, a fulfilling life. And, and so that's, you know, you couldn't use a regular bank account um, to, get, to get around that. So not only are we excluding that group of people, it feels like we're almost actively holding them back. Exactly. Yeah. And in some cases, it's it's like the if if they live off these benefits and things like that, it's almost like the, the government requires them to, to stay poor. It's incredible. And Jane, I'm, I'm curious again, keen to bring you back in here, but what are some of the biggest issues that, that you found for those people living with dementia again and when it comes to accessing those financial services? Yeah, I think the biggest challenges that we faced both with my parents and with the people that we then went on to research with was the ability to access their everyday money whilst knowing that it was safe and secure. So people who have bank accounts from those big financial institutions, they don't work because they they can't be tailored to the specific needs of people living with dementia. Um, There's a ton of workarounds that people and families work out how to do, um, but they're not secure. They're not long-term solutions. Um, So what ended up happening for my family was having to take away access to my mum's money uh, because she was just losing it at such a rate that, you know, she wouldn't have the money available to her to pay for the high levels of care later on, which we knew she'd need. So, but once you take away someone's access to their own finances, you take away their independence because you can no longer retain access to the world. You can't go to the shops to buy a dinner, you can't buy your grandkids their Christmas present or uh, buy your your friend a coffee. So, and then once you take away that, a, a person living with dementia, their condition can can decline, which is what happened to my mum. Yeah, I um, I must admit, Jane, there's a there's a video. Uh, on the Sibstar website where you sort of talk through your own personal experience. And I have to say, it just resonated with me in, in such a way, because I think what you do so well is you sort of get the the human story across so well. And I think that's ultimately what this, this is all about. And I think I was struck by what you said about your mum being hugely social. And then when you started to strip some of those things away, that it, 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 you know, it started to contribute to her condition and um, and that was hugely sad. Yeah, you know, it is a human story. It is, a, it is an idea entirely created out of my, out of our own experience as a family. And, um, uh, you know, as you saw from the, the film on our website, it, it is um, mum was capable in so many ways. Just because she had dementia didn't mean to say that she wasn't able to have choice over buying her own clothes or like I say my my kids their birthday present you know these are all things that make us part of who we are and a part of our identity and having financial tools allow us to do our hobbies and choose what to eat this is this is important stuff Um, and a diagnosis of dementia I believe doesn't have to stop all of that we can help people live well with this condition yeah 
But I think the fact that you've had to uh, come in and sort of do it yourself probably talks to where we're at and the sort of current <laughs> state of play. Um, yeah. Ali, I guess starting to think about maybe some of the opportunities to address some of the challenges that we've sort of hit on already, sort of from a design perspective, what are some of the factors that sort of traditionally exclude people with disabilities from financial services? I think um, financial services and again, sort of digital services in general have always designed around the fact that they've got to be compliant with certain regulation. And these regulations always fall behind how important they are at any given moment, right? And so you look at it, you see public spaces, whenever you go into, into a bank branch, there will be a big, big square button that you can push if you need wheelchair access or whatever to access the branch. But I think where we've really fallen down is the acknowledgement of those non-visible disabilities and what we can do to really, really help them. Even on that physical disabilities point, I think a lot of very traditional financial services like cash machines, a lot of them are still very inaccessible. And I think it was only fairly recently that the majority of them even had Braille, which we think is probably one of the things that has been around for the longest time in terms of accessibility. Yeah. And, and you know, in terms of then actually starting to build out, right, we talked, we mentioned the sort of the the human element of that, but but really what that means is that you know, people being in situations where they need to withdraw cash and being forced into difficult positions because they can't do that in the same way as somebody else and being left in a situation where they might have to, you know, give their ATM card to a stranger and sort of ask them to help. And, you know, horror stories like that, that the rest of us, um, the rest of us typically don't even have to uh, have to consider, which... Um, Again, I just think helps. We mentioned that this is all about the the sort of the human aspect, and I think that just helps bring it to life a little bit. So it's sort of almost like the opposite happened to us in that. Um, so mum doesn't have a physical disability. It was obviously uh, a cognitive in, impairment that she has because she has dementia. But what my mum was doing was taking cash out of the cash point. We tried implementing a limit on that cash point, but when the cash point started saying no more cash today, she would then go into the branch and asked the lady over the counter to give her cash, which she couldn't say no to because it was the count in my mum's name. And the only way I found out that this was going on was because I happened to go in to a branch with my mum that one day and this lady just sort of launched on me and said, are you June's daughter? Because we've really got to tell you what's going on here. And she said, your mum's coming in two or three times a day taking out £50 and there's nothing we can do. Can You know, I think you... So, so the branch then sort of facilitated me stepping in and sort of more formally taking over her finances but this is what happens in real life that um and then my mum was losing that cash and giving it away to people on the street you know, so it's just um you know a system that just doesn't quite work yeah and 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 a really i would say stressful and difficult situation obviously for you but without those controls in place you're relying on that person in the branch to take the initiative and sort of bring it to you right which again is sort of I guess, highlights some of the challenges um, in the market today. I think, I feel like we've probably done a fairly comprehensive breakdown of the challenges and sort of maybe some of the reasons that we're in the situation we sort of are in today. I'm going to move us on maybe to, to some of the solutions that we're starting to see that are coming to market to address some of these. John, I'll, I'll, I'll sort of bring you in here. Um, do you feel like we are seeing a change in 
mindset, a change in the narrative around sort of people with disabilities and impairments in the market generally? Yeah, 100%. I think, especially recently, I think a lot of people are starting to come around to the fact that people with disabilities are still people and just as capable of doing everything, right? And so now it's like uh, more and more companies, right, are are building, you know, accessible products and, and just generally uh, inclusion on TV and commercials, right? Like that's, I think that's step one and just realizing that um, they too can be consumers and, and take part. Yeah, it's because um, there was a, a 2021 survey by the, the Bureau of Internet Accessibility. And I, I agree with you. I think the conversation shifting, I think there's a heightened level of awareness now. But according to that survey, so 58% of the banking industry still doesn't provide sufficient digital accessibility um, for PWDs and fail to meet the standards of the web content accessibility guidelines. Ali, I'm going to kind of interested in your thoughts. I mean, what's really going to sort of start to drive the needle here? What's going to maybe pick up the pace of change? And I'm interested particularly in in terms of sort of enhanced visibility, right? So we've got, um, as an example, the first deaf contestant in this year's Love Island. Um, I think things like that mainstream exposure, are things like that starting to to shift the narrative and can we expect that to have an impact on driving greater inclusion? I think we can. Um, I think we're starting to see it. I think there's a a real shift now in um, in showing sort of social, for lack of a better word, like social causes and 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 slightly more difficult scenarios now getting a, a lot more airtime, probably airtime and things that they should deserve, a lot more focus. And because we've reached a point now where there's, it, you know, everything is, is oversaturated when it's competing on something like price or features or whatever else. So that idea of appealing to people on the basis of, of good, while very, very overdue, is starting to make products and, and features and things completely differentiate, which for um, a product designer, it's very refreshing and overdue. Yeah, and there's also opportunity for these things, solutions for people with disabilities, not just to be sort of afterthoughts or sort of tacked on after the fact, right? I mean, you can build in inclusive design and build an experience or a product that makes that that, that makes the experience better for everybody across the board, right? A hundred percent. I mean, a lot of these, thinking about some of the, the slightly less obvious um, and less visible um, disabilities that we perhaps touched on earlier, we're still, even though, you know, there might be a very stressful experience using, you know, digital financial products, we were never even offering them remotely a choice. But for designing for everyone and making it as most accessible for everyone, you actually create a better experience for if someone decides that they, they perhaps don't want to talk to a person because they have high levels of anxiety or whether they really struggle with filling out a long form because of conditions like OCD or PTSD, which are, are really common problems within this. But if we design for the most accessible scenario, we make those digital experiences a lot more accessible for everyone. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And so, John, then, you know, how did you guys sort of approach Purple from a design perspective in that context? Or what makes a good spending account and and, and debit card um, in that context? Yeah, so really, uh, like you mentioned, right, is, is building for everyone. I think, you know, especially in our case, what we've seen. So we're first really focused on... Um, you know, sort of closest to the community of people with intellectual disabilities, right? Down syndrome, autism, right? So 
that's you know my experience that's what we know best off the bat and and so really if you think about it like my brother's not going to be managing his finances day to day but still you want to build an experience where when he goes out and spends with the debit card right he he still gets to be like all of us he gets to go to the you know a lunch spot with his friends and and pay and pay for his meal right so what we really think about is building for you know the parents the guardians whoever's you know taking care and then at the same time giving them you know the control so that someone like my brother can can have that independence to go out and still make it a learning experience so that you know when he does check his account you know everything's like right there in front of him he doesn't have to go uh digging for it and it's top of mind so he knows hey like this is how much i have uh and am able to spend today yeah and he's 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 building those those great um financial behaviors right learning about how to manage money learning about how to manage a, an account and he has that control exactly jane what what did you have to consider when uh designing sort of sibstar yeah really really similar um it's so good to hear that you we have shared experiences here we considered uh, enabling the person living with dementia to retain finan- their financial independence and to be included in the world and like john just explained to be able to go and buy their coffee buy their lunch um but we also designed for the family carers so the like me the daughter or the the, the son or um uh, or spouse that's looking after that that person with dementia and making sure that the 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 app the Sibstar app is easily accessible for them easy to use not stressful and I guess for us can adapt to the changing needs of the person living with dementia because dementia is obviously a, a, a condition that will get worse so being able to adapt the functionality in the app to enable that person living with dementia to live longer independently is really important and that's something we had to think really carefully about in the design of of the app yeah because that has very real design implications you know you're almost designing for two sort of target segments essentially you've got the person that's living with dementia and then the carer and i guess you've got to find the balance for serving both yeah and also people living with dementia varying degrees of dementia as well so those with people who are quite capable actually to manage their own money right now but over time they may not be able to and therefore um a carer may need to step in and sort of switch off the ability to take money out of a cash point for example or use the or use the card over the phone or online stop them being victims of scams over the phone fraud so yeah adaptability is really important yeah that makes perfect sense. And then Ali, I mean, we've um, we've heard from two, I think, excellent examples of where we've got sort of challenges that are coming to market specifically to address these problems. Where are we seeing examples maybe of progress from some of the more traditional banks in this space or are we? Um, I think we are slightly. I think the pandemic really accelerated quite a lot of this. I remember um, one of my own banks, which I was... I've, pleasantly surprised to see, had gone into a lot of effort to improve the experience of of isolated disabled customers during the pandemic. So, for example, things like having video sign and um, some voice modulated stuff in order to be able to to help interact in times of need. And that was was good to see, but as we say, it's it's a start. Absolutely. Um, I mean, John and Jane, I'll I'll put it out there and and maybe you guys can answer this in turn. Feel free to come in um, first or otherwise. Is is the difference in terms of like what we're seeing maybe in the from the banks that have been around a long time versus, you know, what you guys are doing? Is it that sort of lived experience and that real 
that real sense of sort of wanting to change it based on that living experience that's that's driving what you guys are doing yeah no absolutely you know i think um it's when you experience a family member struggling over um an issue that you feel like there must be a there must be a better way than what's currently out there you are absolutely driven by everything inside you to make it better for the person that you love so i think that grassroots real lived experience and and complete commitment to a motivation to make it better yeah i think it makes a huge difference and i guess i guess you'd echo that john you know yeah i totally agree and if you if you think about it right it's like there's nobody better to be working on purple than than me and there's nobody better to be working on sipstar than jane right it's like for us it's a huge you know competitive advantage for us to have uh, such a deep you know understanding of the unique needs of our customers and you know in our case rates those with disabilities no, I completely agree, and it's a, it's such a, I mean, it's such a worthwhile endeavor, and obviously the, 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 the drive and the passion is, is, is clear, and it's there. But Ali, going back, I guess to, the point we made earlier, I guess financial services should just push to be inclusive, regardless, right? Yeah, absolutely, they should, and Jane and John are absolutely perfect examples of the best products come from not just talking to and designing for people that have problems and things, but actively involving and including them in the creation of these ideas you need that lived experience to be able to um to d- design something that's truly going to change things for people and i think our um, product director here charlotte faraday said something that always resonated with me is that you've got to design with not at people and try and test it out the best ideas will always come from lived experience and always have done and we've always known that and yet we somehow seem to let it slip through the net way too often no, it's a really nice point. And then I guess maybe Jane come to you first on this again, but um, where are some of the opportunities to really actually sort of accelerate this now and maybe thinking around things like um, VC investment and all of that sort of stuff? Are we seeing much movement uh, around that in this space or could we uh, could we look to see more and sort of really drive this forward? Yeah, you know, I we are we have completely bootstrapped our own business so um we have not sought out or gone for vc investment so it's something i i I don't have a great deal of experience of the people who have invested in us so far are grants charities our friends our professional network who like you sort of of see that hear my story and go actually this sounds like a pretty good idea. She might sound a bit like she knows what she's talking about. I'm going to believe in this and I'm going to jump on this train with uh, Jane and Marty and, and try and make, help this happen because it's something I believe in too. So I think that's where our investment has come from. People like who share in our authentic story and, wanna be, and want to be part of this change and help us make this change come about. Excellent. And then John, any thoughts on uh, sort of things that could really sort of start to drive this forward, whether it's sort of VC or anything else? Yeah, I think VCs are are pretty on board. I've met some amazing folks that have been, you know, super helpful on the journey. I think with the last uh, couple of years, right, the fintech boom, uh, it's been, it's really shined a light on on everything that we're doing. And um, obviously there's going to be those out there that push back, right? It's like, hey, you know, people with disabilities are, you know, they use that word, that niche again. But, you know, once they hear the numbers, it's usually helpful at getting them over the hurdle, but others, you know, sometimes it just doesn't click. And, you know, at least we know the, if everything goes right, the impact will have, and, you know, they'll, they'll miss out. Yeah. Which is a great way to think about it. Right. Um, and these propositions and the numbers speak for themselves, which is great to hear. 
Okay, we're just gonna take a quick pause here. We'll be back very shortly. So we're gonna go out on a limb here and assume that you're enjoying this podcast. We're also going to assume that, like us, you're a fintech nerd and that our podcasts, live events, video series and documentaries keep you tapped into everything that's happening across fintech and connected to the fintech community. So if you're interested in creating content that informs and entertains, then you should definitely chat to our media team and get in touch on sponsors at 11fs.com. Okay, let's look at what the future might hold for financial services in this space. Ali, I'll come to you again on on this one first, if you don't mind. Um, is the future of financial services for disability about specifically designed financial products, or is it about big improvements from traditional financial services? So picking up where we left off in the previous section, is this more around sort of scaling niche propositions, or is it about you know really scaling through the the, the big banks and, and 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 doing it that way? I think if if we're being being realistic about how it might happen is I think bigger banks will be forced to act on the basis of the kind of work that, that Jane and John are doing. There is not really much in terms of, I mean, the big banks could could put together the products that Jane and John are off, have, have created with things that they already have. They've just not, they've either decided whether consciously or unconsciously not to. And I think that seeing these new products that really support and are very inclusive of, as John said, the numbers are there, that huge potential customer base and, and customer needs, they're, they're going to be forced to act, but, you know, they really should be out in front of this. And it's it's great companies um, like Purple and um, and James that really gets going. Yeah. And we've, we've seen this, um, you know, fintech more broadly, I guess, where those sort of challenges come to market, they sort of really change, you know, what customers expect from the legacy providers and they're sort of forced to adapt and sort of forced to 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 keep pace. It's sort of same question to you, I guess, John. How do you sort of see this space evolving from here? Yeah, I think there's 100% a need for uh, like very specific financial products, right? Like in our case, what we're doing with um, the ABLE account, which is a tax advantage savings plan for those with disabilities, you know, that's something that large banks can't do. They can't, this isn't an account that they could just, you know, spin up an offer to their clients. But I still think at the same time, right, there's still a lot of work that can be done on the side of um, these big banks, whether that's making the products more inclusive, just generally improving accessibility. And I know we've discussed this, right, and they've been doing this over the last couple of years. And just generally, uh, you know, adapting their services to better serve those with disabilities, right? Like in my brother's case, just understanding that, um, he can't have more than $2,000. And this sort of goes back to like our origin story. Uh, he received a letter from his bank that said, hey, you know, we're going to charge you a monthly service fee if you can't meet the the minimums. And it's like, he literally can't because he can't go over a certain number. So it's it, it's like they didn't understand that. So they ultimately lost uh, a customer because they were unwilling to waive the fee. Gosh, mm. that just, I mean, that is a, it's, it's, it's incredible, isn't it? That there's that that lack of of understanding i think jane i saw you sort of agreeing um keen to bring you in and sort of get your thoughts as well yeah i think i think you know companies like uh what sidstar and what purple are doing are, are shining a spotlight on the on the needs of these audience groups and that's a good thing that's a good thing that everybody is becoming more aware of the banking needs of these these particular groups like you say a big bank could come in and build what we're doing 
probably a lot more easier than, than I have with no banking experience overnight almost. But why haven't they? And I wonder if it's our authentic and our lived experiences that are making a difference. And maybe a way forward is around collaboration. I think fintechs bring quickness, realness, nimbleness that a big bank can't. But maybe when we talk about inclusion at scale, then maybe collaboration is a way forward. Yeah. And I guess if you go back to what we talked about a little bit earlier about the the fact that there are so many pain points probably as there are disabilities, I think that as a as an approach, as a strategy, could start to address maybe that scale challenge of being able to service the sort of diverse needs of of, of lots of different groups. Ali, you sort of I think you mentioned it earlier on in the show that the, 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 some of the challenges maybe in, in some other markets and particularly um, emerging markets. So how do you think inclusive design could start to address uh, some of those challenges where maybe we don't have a SIB star or we don't have um, a purple, you know, sort of that is actively looking at these challenges? <laughs> that's, that's actually, that's a really big question. Um, I think most of um, the banks in, in kind of, um, Africa use uh, make use of like man trap door systems with the aim of preventing like unauthorized access, and I think it's about making access to financial services in a lot of those emerging markets accessible um, to to everybody. Not just like I mean, I think that there's a huge proportion of unbanked within that. But when we start to get those uh, financial services to those people, it's about designing with these kind of things in mind from the get go, so that these. Uh, services are completely inclusive from day one because a lot of the reason that these things haven't been taken into account on things is because that they are they are older they're harder to change so now that we've got some emerging market coming through we can design things afresh we can design them new with all of these considerations front of mind from the beginning yeah and then um because the i think the man trap door example again is a really good one just for sort of bringing home like the impact that these interactions have and you know not being able to actually physically access the branch means that actually you're pretty much excluded from doing whatever it is that you need to do. And, you know, we see a lot of that in Africa. I wonder actually, John, and this sort of goes back to the example you gave about your brother and the letter that he got. How much do you think this is um, sort of dependent on like educating frontline staff about how to actually engage with and how to actually really help um, people with disabilities or impairments? Absolutely. Yeah. I think it's a lot of just generally building awareness and saying, you know, Hey, if, if this individual comes in, it's like, here's a few things to know about, you know, perhaps their situation or whatever. Right. And uh, so definitely that knowledge ahead of time would be super helpful in, in tailoring just in general, the experience of, of what they need to offer. Yeah. And tailoring it. And I guess almost sort of, I mean, I, 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 I hate to use the word standardized, right? Because everything that we talk about in a uh, now in a financial services context, and particularly in a digital financial services context is surprise and delight and everything. But I think one of the things that's going to stick with me actually from this conversation, Jane, is the example that you gave about when you went into branch and were sort of almost jumped on by that particular <laughs> member of staff who obviously was very aware. But I mean, again, right, if, if you've got frontline staff that have that same level of... Um, I, I don't even know what it is, just sort of understanding and, and, and knowing really what to do in that situation. Mm. I expect that that maybe would have made some other experiences easier for you. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we're sort of 
touching on a point here, which I, which is a sort of a ripple effect of what I hope that our business will have. So we're in this for the long term, you know, and really by keeping people living with dementia active and part of their communities, you do start to educate our wider community, our wider society. So it's not just the frontline staff at the banks, which are really important and really need to be um, well trained to understand the multiple complex needs of all of their customers. But if we are slowly but surely um, enabling people to build understanding and, and and tolerance of conditions like dementia, then we start, start starting to change society's view of this condition and that cannot uh, that can help on a much wider scale as well no i i 100 percent agree and then john maybe on the flip side of the sort of like the educating of the frontline staff what about sort of the impact of sort of further automation and and maybe providing more options to do things digitally do you think again in terms of scaling this out is that does that have big potential and, and potentially a big impact absolutely i think just general digital access because there are those times where you know the family or the individual can't go out right and it's like we've talked about this access to the bank branch specifically right so i think like in the real world you know where things are lacking i think like that's where things are are truly lacking versus uh, you know on the technology side so uh, there's still a lot of work to be done but it is great to see you know companies coming around and and creating these different on-ramps where they utilize technology to, to make it easier. Yeah. And, and again, I've, I've, I've just sort of read so many stories of, of, of people with disabilities sort of engaging at the front line and maybe those, those frontline staff not necessarily having the understanding it turns into a difficult experience. It really affects that person's confidence. And then actually they're sort of more reluctant to sort of engage, um, again. So I think, yeah, having those options, I think is always good. Um, we're almost at the end. I'm going to, go around the sort of virtual room one by one just to summarize, but I'd love to get just sort of one piece of advice from each of you on maybe what is something that we could do that would sort of really contribute to the design of more inclusive financial services. So uh, I'll, I'll spin the roulette wheel. Jane, maybe I'll, I'll start with you. Yeah, I think it's already been mentioned really on earlier. It's about designing with people who are living with these experiences and involving them from the beginning to the end, every step of the way, uh, talking to them and listening to them and uh, deepening your understanding of what they really need and, and designing to meet those needs. And if it doesn't work, scrap it, move on, try something else. Yeah, completely agree. You either You either do something great or you learn, right? Um, <laughs> excellent. All right. Um, Ali, what do you think? Yeah. I mean, I, I have to just to echo James. I think it's the the most important thing when designing these. And if, if it's not on your radar as a consideration or you're at a financial services company and you don't think that your design can do it, get out and talk to people. Find them. They're everywhere. <laughs> yeah, completely agree. And then, um, John, I guess, last word, last word on this to you. Yeah, big plus one to what's already been mentioned, but I'll just add that you know, people with disabilities, they're still spenders, they're still savers, and they're still and investors just like everyone else. And I think that's something that banks and fintechs alike have actually overlooked. And you just keep that in mind. And that's sort of like what we use as our, our guiding, you know, guiding light. Yeah. No, I love that. 
Excellent. Okay. Uh, I think we are just about bang on time, which I think our producers will tell you is a very rare occurrence. Um, I just want to say, obviously, thank you so much um, to all our guests that joined. I think this is a really important topic. I think I hope we did it justice because it is hugely important. But I've really enjoyed the conversation. So thank you for that. Uh, that does wrap up today's discussion. So thank you all so much for joining me. Um, I'm going to go around very quickly. Where can uh, people find out more about you and your companies? I'm going to go reverse order this time. So John, I'll uh, I'll start with you. Yeah, thanks so much, Ross. This was this was a blast. Um, you can find me on Twitter at John Sioka. You know, always happy to connect and then check out what we're building at Purple at withpurple.com. Excellent, Ali. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn. As far as I'm aware, I'm still the only person with my name the way it's spelled on there, so I should be easy to find. Um, and if for anything more about what we can do for you at 11FS, um, check out 11FS.com. Super, thanks, Ali. Uh, and Jane? Thank you for having me. It's been great to, to, to share in the discussion today. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn, Jane Sibley, or you can check out Sibstar at sibstar.co.uk. Super. And as always, you can find me uh, at Ross Gallagher, 07 on Twitter. Uh, thanks for listening. If you like what you've heard, please do subscribe to the podcast and please don't forget to leave us a review because it really does help us to make the show better and it also helps others to find it. As always, if you want to join the conversation, find us on social media. Just search for 11FS or Fintech Insider or email podcast at 11FS.com. Thanks very much. Goodbye. Goodbye.